Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan once again now on our Tuesday slot, and we have a lot to get to this week, so let's jump right into it. Before we do, though, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as they have been for many months now, Carbon Health. I call them my partner because this is a true partnership. We both believe in what the other one is doing. I love the fact that they're trying to make healthcare as accessible and affordable as they possibly can, and they enjoy what I make here on the show and the community that we have, so it is truly a a mutual fan club. And just a reminder, as the numbers have been coming out, it seems like we're creeping up just a little bit in the summertime. If you need a COVID-19 antigen test and there are none available in the drugstores or pharmacies around you, if you are near a physical Carbon Health location, you can pick up two at-home antigen tests. If you want to know where Carbon Health locations are, you can check the Carbon Health app. You can also see what else Carbon Health can provide, including telehealth if you're not near one of the actual Carbon Health facilities. So thank you once again to Carbon Health and their support of the show. Let's move to the weekend box office. As I said, there is a lot to get to, so let's look first at the weekend top five. And number one, as we knew it would be, is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness in its second week with a drop of around 67%. We are going to have a lot more to say about this in just a few minutes, so I'll leave it there for now. $61,755,804 is the total there. The bad guys in its fourth week remains in second place with a good hold, minus 27%, and another $7 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 in its sixth week, minus 23%, a good hold, with $4.6 million. The new version of Firestar debuts in fourth place with $3.8 million. The fact that it was available day and date on Peacock definitely hurt it. The fact that it was not a very good movie probably hurt it some more. So not a great debut for Firestarter. And this is really the box office story of the year in many ways. It's kind of flown under the radar because it is a smaller movie. But in its eighth week, everything, everywhere, all at once, still in the top five with a minus 6% drop. And since it has expanded into wide release, there have been so many weeks where it drops in the single digit percentage wise, it actually goes up week to week. This never happens with movies. Never. It is exceedingly rare. And so even though it's not putting up $50 million a week, I really do want to acknowledge how special this movie is, how much it's obviously connecting with audiences, what word of mouth is doing for this movie, because to still be in the top five, another $3.3 million, but then that single digit drop percentage-wise, and for this to be not only the first or the second, but the third or fourth time that the movie's done that, is pretty incredible. And it has been slow rolling its way to a couple of big records, The biggest one being, unless the bottom absolutely drops out in the next week or so, Everything Everywhere All at Once will be the highest grossing film from A24 that they have yet to release. Right now, the record holder is Uncut Gems at $50 million, then Lady Bird with $48.9 million, but we see Everything Everywhere All at Once at $47.1 million. If it keeps putting up anything close to the holds that it's been doing the last several weeks, then it will overtake Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems to become the highest grossing film domestically that's distributed by A24. Hereditary ranks number four on that list with $44 million, and Moonlight ranks number five at $27.8 million. And we look at A24 grocers worldwide, everything everywhere all at once is also creeping up that list. The number one A24 worldwide grocer is Hereditary with $81.2 million. And can I just take a moment to note how utterly terrifying that international 
international poster is. I believe this is the French poster for Hereditary. I'd actually never seen it before I was putting the show together today. Uh, that is almost as nightmare-inducing as the actual film. I don't like looking at that. Let's go to the number two film, which was $78.9 million for Lady Bird. Moonlight was the number three film with $65.1 million, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Number four on the list with $52.1 million, which bypasses the worldwide gross of Uncut Gems, which was basically a domestic play at just over $50 million. And the thing with Everything Everywhere All at Once is that it's just now opening in a lot of markets. It just opened in the UK. It has several international markets uh, in which it has yet to play and if it plays in those markets like it's played here in the United States then over the next several weeks we could see it continuing to creep up that worldwide list. Also if you think that I included the A24 worldwide numbers to underscore yet again that my beloved Hereditary is A24's highest grossing film of all time worldwide you would be correct. You would also be correct in assuming that I'm highlighting Hereditary to again underscore the fact that Tony Collette was robbed not only of an Academy Award, but of an Academy Award nomination. And then, and I didn't mention this a couple of weeks ago, on Mother's Day, the Academy has the gall, the utter temerity to tweet a happy Mother's Day to Tony Collette, of which the top response was a very appropriate, if you liked her performance so much, why didn't you nominate her? Why indeed, Ocho Camilo, Twitter user? I appreciate your stance. As a matter of fact, in my book, you are not the Ocho Camilo. You are the main Camilo. And that is a well brought up point. Because if you're not going to give Tony Collette the award, don't go for the cloud of wishing her happy Mother's Day on Twitter at the Academy. I don't care if Hereditary came out four years ago. I'm still angry with you. I'll always be angry with you. And I want to go into the multiverse through Doctor Strange or Michelle Yeoh or whoever can get me there in which Tony Collette has gotten her her proper accolades for that role. Because nobody admits anything they've done! Anyway, let's move on to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And if you were near a computer with any kind of movie news, or if you were near Twitter or YouTube with any kind of movie-related videos, then you probably saw a lot of headlines over this weekend, some of them along the lines of Doctor Strange is the biggest drop in MCU history. Some of what was reported this weekend is true. Some of it is mostly true. Some of it is not really true at all. So I decided to kind of wade through a lot of the things that I saw this weekend and do a little bit of a fact check on the second weekend of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And a lot of what you saw probably was something along what Yahoo reported, which is that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness suffers historic MCU box office drop in the second opening weekend. And I'll say right up front, and we'll look at the actual numbers here, that yes, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness did have one of the biggest MCU drops from weekend to weekend uh, of any film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it was not the biggest, and I don't necessarily know if I would call it historic either. According to Box Office Mojo, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness had the 220th biggest second weekend drop of all time, so in the overall scope of movies in general, uh, it was not historic. But let's look at it in the context of the MCU, and once the final numbers were in yesterday, Doctor Strange had the third worst drop in its second weekend at a flat 67%. You can see there are only two movies that had bigger drops, Spider-Man No Way Home at 67.5% and Black Widow at 67.8%. And a lot of the discussion that we're going to have here on today's show is about context. So you do have to note 
Spider-Man No Way Home's second weekend enveloped both Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, which are often a little bit lower as far as attendance goes. The real bonanza happens starting pretty much the night of Christmas and then the day after and going into the next week. And then Black Widow came out last summer during the pandemic and was also available to watch on Disney+. Plus. So it is not an apples-to-apples comparison with Doctor Strange. The most recent MCU film that did not have a second weekend fall on a holiday or was not also available on Disney Plus was Eternals, which had a similar drop, but not quite as high at 62.3%. So to clarify, Doctor Strange did not have the worst drop for a movie in the MCU's history. It had the third worst drop, and I'm not saying that as if to say that there's no problem there. I'm just kind of correcting a lot of the headlines that I saw. And the other thing, as we mentioned context, if you look at the different movies, is that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness also opened more than double the number that Black Widow had at the box office as far as raw receipts. So you can't really take a 67% drop on a $187 million opening and a similar drop on an $80 million opening the same way. Again, this is going to be largely about context and putting these numbers in the proper context, not to make excuses or to make a case either way, but to make sure that you are informed of all of the different factors that are going on with these numbers. Another splashy headline that I saw over the weekend, and this was when estimated Friday numbers came out, this started circulating on Saturday, was that Doctor Strange had an 82% drop from its opening Friday to its second Friday, which was an unprecedented plunge for the MCU. Well, this is a little bit pedantic, but once the final numbers came in, it was an 81% drop, not an 82% drop. But the main thing is that this was not the biggest Friday to Friday drop in Marvel history. That belonged to Spider-Man No Way Home, which dropped over 82% in its second Friday. And it's funny how context came into play there because a lot of the people that were arguing that Doctor Strange was a box office flop were quick to note that that second Spider-Man No Way Home Friday was Christmas Eve. However, when I went back into the history books and looked at the cases that a lot of these sites and a lot of these channels were making, they did not make those same caveats when they were covering the second box office weekend of The Last Jedi, a weekend that also included Christmas Eve that had similar drops but was reported in a way that Spider Man No Way Home largely was not as a box office disaster. And another thing to keep in mind with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, when we talk about these drops, it had the 11th highest grossing weekend of all time in its opening weekend. It was also the seventh highest opening film in the MCU. And when you look at the other six films that open higher than Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Three of those six had a drop-off of 74% or more in their second weekends. So I would argue that the Multiverse of Madness's drop-off was definitely steep, but certainly not unprecedented, and neither the Friday-to-Friday drop-off nor the second weekend drop-off were the biggest drop-offs in Marvel history, as was reported on many different sites. But that doesn't mean that we should just completely brush off this performance, because there are factors to consider. Number one, it's something that we talked about here on the show last week, the movie Cinema Score. It got a B plus, and we've often talked before that movies that get a B plus Cinema Score and below often have abbreviated box office legs because it hurts both rewatchability and it hurts word of mouth for people that are telling their friends to go see that movie. Maybe this was a steep drop off from a big opening weekend, or maybe this was the first weekend where we're seeing that effect take place. This upcoming weekend, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness's third weekend, where it really doesn't have any competition for its 
core audience is going to fill in a lot of the blanks that we may not know from this weekend. I think it's also noteworthy that four of the MCU's five biggest second weekend drop-offs have been phase four movies that were released either during or after the pandemic. And I think this raises a lot of questions about consumer behavior. Are we going to see all MCU films and big event movies like this similarly front-loaded? That wasn't necessarily the case with the Batman. Is it something specific to Marvel, specific to Disney Plus? With so many people subscribed to Disney Plus, are people anticipating a shorter theatrical window? These are also questions that we just don't know the answer to yet. And before the accusations of Marvel shill start getting thrown around, I would also like to point out that there have been five films released so far in Marvel's Phase 4. I was very enthusiastic about one of them, Spider-Man No Way Home. I was mixed on the other two, which would be Black Widow and Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. And I gave negative reviews to both Eternals and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So I don't really have a horse in this race as far as Disney Marvel goes. I'm not a particularly huge fan of what they've done. I've even had serious misgivings about a lot of what they've done on the television side so far. This is really more of a push for good analysis and almost like a PSA for making sure when you see these little bits of information floating around the internet that you're doing your own legwork and your own detective work to see what the truth behind these numbers really is. So one of the articles that I saw most referenced this weekend was Deadline's article, and Deadline does very extensive box office coverage. They are part of my regimen, uh, part of my weekly routine when I'm reading through the different uh, box office reports. They give a lot of great information about demographics and a lot of factual stuff. There was one comparison, actually, that I thought was very interesting that Deadline made with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness's box office performance, and that was a comparison to 2016's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And when you look at the numbers, especially if you adjust for inflation, they actually have a very startlingly similar trajectory. BVS was trending a little bit lower than Multiverse of Madness, but when you adjust for inflation, it matches or even tops the figures that we saw from the second Doctor Strange movie, and the pattern is the same. Similar drops, a similar week pattern, a similar week two pattern. And so I saw some people bringing up the fact, well, why is it that people aren't covering the second weekend of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness the same way that they covered the second weekend of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice? And you know what? I think that that is an excellent question. We have similar films in the same genre that opened around the same. Batman v Superman opened to $166 million in 2016 money. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness opened to $187 million. They had very similar drops. Doctor Strange dropped around 67%. Batman v Superman dropped around 69.1%. So why was it that Batman v Superman was covered as this big colossal disaster for DC? And I think that there are a lot of answers to that question. Number one, Batman v Superman did cost a little bit more, $250 million in 2016 money versus $200 million for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And then you have the expectations game. Number one, you have Batman and Superman meeting up for the first time on screen. I think a lot of people expected that a movie featuring those two superheroes would hold better than it did. Number two, just the weight of the universe, the fact that this was the opening salvo of the DC Cinematic Universe and not the 28th movie as Multiverse of Madness is. 
And then the reviews definitely played a part. Doctor Strange's reviews haven't been glowing, but they have been positive compared to the generally negative critical reaction to Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Did that color the way that the box office was covered? Yeah, I think that it absolutely did. But keep in mind that Batman v Superman, aside from the coverage of its box office returns, was not a financial failure by any stretch of the imagination. It made $873 million worldwide, it made $330 million domestically, and even the other DC film that came out later in 2016, which was even more critically unpopular, Suicide Squad, was absolutely a financial success. $325 million domestic, $746 million worldwide. Like Batman v Superman, Doctor Strange, contrary to to other claims is not a box office flop. As we'll see very shortly, it has made nearly $300 million domestically and $700 million worldwide in just 10 days. It's already passed 11 MCU films domestically, including Captain America and the Winter Soldier and Ant-Man, and it will pass more, including Guardians of the Galaxy, by the end of this weekend. It's looking likely to reach a minimum of around $850 million worldwide, which would put it somewhere near Thor Ragnarok. None of those movies are considered box office failures, and let me state very clearly that there is no case, no case to be made that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is a box office flop unless you are setting the expectations. And that's really where I want to make my final point with this, because a lot of what I saw with people using these box office numbers over the weekend was a mix of fact and narrative, taking these numbers, taking these percentages and spending it to fit the story that you yourself are already writing about this movie, regardless of what the facts say, regardless of what Spider-Man No Way Home did or what you did or didn't say about other movies that were in a similar situation. Basically, a lot of people who already had a problem with Disney, already had a problem with Marvel and already had a problem with this movie were using the numbers to make the case that the movie was a flop, that the MCU was failing, in many cases that politics were to blame, and the facts don't really back up any of these statements. Take this article with the headline, Doctor Strange 2 Suffers Massive Friday Drop, Billion Dollar Box Office in Doubt, with the byline, the flick is turning out to be another huge failure for Kevin Feige's Phase 4 approach that is a massive bust. Right there, just in the headline, you see that they've set up the expectation that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was going to be a billion-dollar film, which was certainly a possibility, but I don't think was absolutely expected of the film. Nor did the movie cost $500 million, which would necessitate it being a billion-dollar movie to make money. And then you see underneath the fact that they're already committed to the idea that Phase 4 is a complete bust and that Kevin Feige's vision is a failure. And look, if you want to have the opinion that Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is a box office, disappointment because it didn't make more money or that phase four is a creative failure, then that's your prerogative. But it's important to note that this is not box office news. This is commentary couched as news coverage. And when I'm looking at my sources for box office news, I don't think that I'm going to get the most objective Marvel coverage from the same site that two years ago ran an article called Diversity is Destroying the MCU and recently ran another article with a section labeled White Males Can No Longer Be the Hero in the MCU. And if that's how you want to look at the world, you know what? You do you. It is lucrative, far more lucrative uh, than what I am doing. I also happen to think that it's unfair and destructive to discourse and potentially unraveling the very fabric of society. But hey, you know, that's just my opinion. 
And in today's world, outrage sells and it definitely clicks. Take this YouTube channel, which often publishes videos that are very openly critical of both the MCU and Disney. On Saturday, they published a video called Doctor Strange 2 Drops 82% at Box Office Worst MCU Drop Ever, which it didn't, and it wasn't. But that video trafficked four times higher than their follow-up video the next day, Doctor Strange 2 Box Office still tracking well after 67% drop which is accurate, but far less attention-grabbing, which, by the way, is what I'm thinking of renaming this show. And listen, you've heard me say all of this before. Back when I was at Fandom in 2017, I did a whole video on Captain Marvel because there were so many people that were wrapped up in the narrative that Captain Marvel was an abomination and that it was going to bomb horribly at the box office. And when the movie didn't do that, they tried to spin the facts to fit their narrative. And that is dangerous. And listen, this is low-stakes stuff, but it applies to so much more in this world than the second weekend takes of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Do your research, read beyond the headlines, see where the information is coming from, look for other sources that are reporting the same information to see if there's more context, and most importantly, make up your own mind. Don't let anybody else make it up for you, including me. We're probably at the length of a regular episode of this show, but we actually have a whole lot of other charts, so if you skipped all over the Doctor Strange stuff, uh, welcome. Uh, we didn't really talk about anything that important. Let's get back to the weekend box office. Let's look first at the road to recovery as we track the box office weekends of 2022 versus last year, and then the average of weekends from 2015 to 2019, and after a huge spike last weekend to beat the previous five-year average, we plunged below it yet again. The good news is that we are still far above where we were at this time last year. There's not a whole lot coming into the marketplace this weekend unless Downton Abbey becomes an MCU-style blockbuster. I think it's very likely that we're going to stay below that blue line. And then we'll see what Tom Cruise and Top Gun Maverick can do for the box office over the Memorial Day weekend. Looking at the 2022 box office market share to date, Disney keeps picking up market share. Just two weeks ago, it was at 5%. It is now at 17%, so that is a 12% increase just in the last two weeks. That's what an MCU film will do for you, folks. Also, because we're deeper into the year, I condensed some of the other studios. So we have the big five, Universal, Paramount, Warner Brothers, Sony, Disney, Fox, and then all of the others are now combined into one slice. So you can see Disney, Fox picking up 4% market share, taking 1% each from Universal and Paramount. WB loses 2%. And then the all other slice, which also includes uh, Lionsgate and A24, they're probably taking up a nice chunk due to the continued uh, great performance of everything everywhere all at once. They pick up 2% market share. Sony loses 2%. So we have a much more equitable pie, especially amongst the big five studios than we did even a couple of weeks ago. Disney now surpassing Universal's market share for the year almost surpassing Paramount's market share and getting close to both Warner Brothers and Sony and the pie chart that I think we're all more likely to see at the end of the year. Let's look at the per theater averages for the past weekend. That's how much money each of these movies made in per theater that it was playing in. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness remains on top, bringing in $13,621 at over 4,500 theaters. So I don't think those theater managers were too unhappy. Pleasure was playing in two theaters and brought in a little over $8,100 per theater. Pleasure is a Swedish film that debuted at Cannes in 2020 and at Sundance in 2021 that's 
just now finding its way into limited release. In third place was Montana Story, grossing $4,300 in four theaters. That's a film that came out of last year's Toronto Film Festival. In fourth place is Mao, a documentary about Canadian architect and artist Bruce Mao. It's playing in two theaters. And then at number five, staying on the chart from last week is a re-release of the film Diva, bringing in $1,970 in each of the two theaters that it was playing in. By the way, if you go down the per theater average chart, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was the only movie in wide release that made the top five. The next highest gross in wide release was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which beat the per theater averages of every other movie in wide release, save for Doctor Strange. That's pretty great. Looking at the top five films in limited release or the specialty box office, 1,000 theaters or fewer, at number one in 854 theaters is a movie called Family Camp, which is a comedy from the faith-based comedy duo The Skit Guys. Faith-based films often doing well, particularly in limited targeted release, and we see in just over 800 theaters about a $1.4 million total. The Duke's still doing well in limited release. 353 theaters, it brings in another $239,000. Celine Sciamma's Petite Maman bringing in $111,000 as it continues to expand into 222 theaters. The French film Happening expanding into 188 theaters, bringing in $61,000. And then Ecomo SL, which we've seen on this chart for several weeks now, bringing in $45,995 in 50 theaters. When we look at the 2022 grosses for films that were in limited release, BTS Permission to Dance, still a narrow number one over KGF Chapter 2, which had a big reporting surge last week, now the second highest limited release grosser of the year. Cyrano is at number three, the worst person in the world at number four. Everything Everywhere All at Once, the portion of its release in which it was playing in limited release at number five with $2.3 million. Parallel Mothers, which brought in $2.2 million in this calendar year, that's how we're charting these limited release grocers. These are grosses from January 1st, 2022 onwards. Uma is at number seven. Drive My Car is at number eight. Rather Shyam at number nine. And the 2022 Oscar shorts at number 10. So literally no change on this chart from last week. Although there are a few films, including Family Camp and The Duke, that will be knocking on the door of that top 10 in the weeks to come. Let's look outside the domestic marketplace and see what the top five international films were. So these are all markets outside of the United States and Canada. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness seeing a similar drop worldwide as it saw here uh, domestically with an $83.5 million second weekend gross internationally. In Japan, the film Shin Ultraman. A revival of the popular Japanese character bringing in $7.7 million. That is a big number for Japan, so a big summer blockbuster grocer there. The Bad Guys at number three with $6.7 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 with $5.3 million. And on the cusp of falling out of the top five, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. I think I said The Crimes of Dumbledore once or twice last week. Uh, it's just hard for me to keep those movies straight. Anyway, $3.9 million at number five. So when you take the domestic marketplace, you mash it up with the international marketplace, we get our top five worldwide for the past weekend. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was the number one movie in the world with $145.2 million. The Bad Guys at number two with $13.7 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number three with $9.9 million. Shin Ultraman, only in release in Japan, was good enough to make number four with its $7.7 million gross. And Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, still number five, 
with just over $6.4 million. This is the summer movie season, although a lot of May is pretty quiet. We're pretty much bookended with Doctor Strange and then Top Gun Maverick. So right now we only have two films that qualify for the summer box office chart. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number one with a total gross of $292.6 million. And right behind it at number two is Firestarter with $3.8 million. The good news for Firestarter is that it's going to be on this chart for quite some time because nine other movies have to come out to knock it off. So enjoy this time on this chart, Firestarter, because you're really not going to be on any others. My summer box office predictions haven't changed. They really don't have a chance to change until Top Gun Maverick comes out uh, next weekend on the Memorial Day holiday. So that's going to stay the same for the next little bit. One thing to note is that Bullet Train, which was slated for the last week of July, has now moved into the first week of August. Apparently the studio felt that it could position itself as a late summer uh, action film and really dominate that entire month. So I'm feeling a little bit better about picking Bullet Train because uh, if the studio really does feel like it could do that well in August, uh, maybe it's good. I mean, that's the thing. We just don't even know if it's good this far out. So Bullet Train now coming out one week later than originally intended. When we look at the 2022 domestic box office, just a couple of little shakeups. The Batman, for the moment, still number one with $369.2 million. It seems destined to drop that spot to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, but we'll see how it legs out from here. Right now, it clocks almost $300 million. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is at number three with $175 million, followed by Uncharted at number four with $147.2 million. The Lost City may still crawl its way to that $100 million mark. It's now at $97.1 million. This has been another movie that's had really good legs over the spring box office season going into the summer, although it's now available on streaming. So uh, the, the clock is running out on that $100 million landmark for The Lost City. Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore does not look like it's going to cross that $100 million mark. I mean, this would be a, a massive fall from grace for this franchise if it can't even clock $100 million domestic, but it really does look like it is out of steam. We'll see if it does make it over that $100 million mark. It's not going to be by much. Scream 2022 is at number seven. Morbius is at number eight. The Bad Guys enters the chart with $66.4 million. That knocks Dog down one spot to $61.7 million, and that drops Jackass forever. Well, you know, they're used to dropping out of things. They are no longer in the 2022 domestic box office chart, but they still live on in our hearts, or at least uh, in my heart. Looking at the 2022 domestic box office for the calendar year, so these are ticket sales from January 1st, 2022 to today. The Batman remains number one. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness has now sold the second most tickets of any movie this year. It bumped Spider-Man No Way Home, which made $231.6 million in 2022, the remainder of its domestic gross it made in a little under two weeks in 2021. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 remains number four, followed by Uncharted at number five, The Lost City at six, Fantastic Beasts at seven, Sing 2, a late 2021 release on the chart still at number 8, Scream at number 9, and Morbius at number 10. We also have some motion on the worldwide box office chart. The Batman, again for right now, is the highest grossing film of the year worldwide with $768.4 million. But closing quickly is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness with $688.8 million. Depending on how it does domestically and elsewhere this week, we could see it at number one by the end of uh, this upcoming weekend. The Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 drops down one spot to number three. Uncharted stays at number four. Too Cool to Kill stays at number five. 
Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Again, not really any markets left for it to open in. It is barely crawling toward that $400 million mark. And keep in mind, when we talk about a movie that was a $200 million movie, $400 million is the bare minimum that it can make to maybe break even in the theatrical window. So it looks like Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore is going to be a money loser for Warner Brothers theatrically. It may make up those grosses elsewhere. I don't think that Warner Brothers is used to Wizarding World films leaving a negative mark in their ledger. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 is at number seven. Nice View is at number eight. The Bad Guys enters this chart at number nine, just squeaking in over The Lost City, which drops down to number 10. And uh, R.I.P. Morbius, he has been staked in the heart of the worldwide box office. He drops out of the top 10. Morbius, we barely knew ye, nor do we barely remember ye. Let's look at the top 10 films in the world over the previous 365 days. So if you take today, you roll that calendar back 365 days. These are the top 10. Spider-Man No Way Home with 1.8 billion, almost 1.9 billion remains at number one. The Battle at Lake Chung-Jin is at number two. No Time to Die at number three. The Batman at number four. F9 entering its retirement year. It has less than two weeks before it graduates off of this chart 355 days on the worldwide box office chart with $726 million. It may get bumped down to number six uh, before all is said and done. I, I mean, I think it's definitely going to because Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness jumps up two spots to number six with $688.8 million. The Battle at Lake Chung Jin 2 and Venom Let There Be Carnage both drop down one spot. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings stays at number nine and Sing 2 stays at number 10. Before we look at what people are watching at home, I always like to do a bit of a refresher course. We go back to a box office weekend of years past and we're actually going back almost 40 years 38 years to be precise, to May 11th through the 13th, 1984, which was the opening weekend of a little Stephen King adaptation called Firestarter, the original Firestarter starring Drew Barrymore. And here's the funny thing, unadjusted for inflation, meaning in 1984 dollars, the original Firestarter made more money in its opening weekend than the remake did. That's not good news for the new Firestarter. It opened in third place with $4.7 million. The number one movie was another new release called The Natural, starring Robert Redford, which wasn't actually that much higher, $5,088,381. The number two film was Breakin' in its second week with $4.9 million. Then we have Firestarter at number four, another 80s classic, 16 Candles in its second week with just under $3.2 million. And then at number five in its seventh week, Romancing the Stone with just over $3 million. We saw kind of a quasi-definitely inspired film uh, this year with The Lost City. So a lot of films with very long cinematic legacies at the box office 38 years ago. And Firestarter doing better almost four decades ago than the ill-advised remake that we saw this past weekend. So before we go, let's take a look at what people are watching at home through their various devices and services. And first, we'll look at the top 10 rentals on iTunes. At number one is The Northman, which is now available for both purchase and premium video on demand, which is the high dollar rental. So that enters number one, perhaps making up some of the money that it did not make at the box office. At number two is Uncharted, which the rental window has now opened on, so you can now purchase it and rent to watch it at home. 
the bad guys still doing well at the box office, but also available for purchase and premium video on demand on iTunes and other services. The Lost City available for purchase on iTunes, so you can also watch that at home if you want to own the movie. It's not a bad movie if you want to buy it. Spider-Man No Way Home is at number five. Dog is at number six. It has been on the charts, but the rental window is also now open, so you can rent it without having to purchase or do the premium video on demand. Moonfall is at number seven. Sing 2 is at number eight. Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City does what I call the old iTunes special. It makes the chart by putting itself up for 99 cent rental, which is more than a lot of people paid to see it last year uh, because almost nobody went to see it. So good for Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. And then at number 10, Ambulance, which is available for purchase and premium video on demand. Let's see what the 10 most watched programs were on Netflix according to my Merle metrics, which basically takes the total time watched, divides it by the length of each show, and the number that we get is the potential finished views, the potential number of users that could have finished the entire program be it movie or series. And as it was last week, the number one feature on Netflix is 365 days this day with a potential finished view number of 14.9. So 27,530,000 hours watched based on how long the movie is. 14.9 million potential Netflix viewers finished it the week of May 2nd through May 8th. Ozark season four by far with the most hours watched over a hundred million and a PFV not far off the lead either 14.3. So Ozark, uh, a big draw for Netflix as an original series, the Netflix movie, the takedown at number three with a PFV number of 13.4 honeymoon with my mother, making a big jump from last week. I still don't want to know what that movie's about with a PFV number of 12.7 Sonic, the hedgehog, which is actually not available on Netflix domestically. So this is a movie that is internationally available, but a big, Big draw with a PFV of 10.4, so 10.4 million potential Netflix users watching the entire movie. The Netflix movie Silverton Siege is at number six. Along for the Ride, another Netflix movie at number seven. 365 Days, the original at number eight. So I guess some folks are doing a double feature with a PFV of 5.2. With a pretty much identical PFV, the Netflix original movie 40 Years Young. And then the Marked Heart Season 1, a Netflix original series at number 10 with a PFV of 4.8. And finally, we're wrapping up with a newer chart here on the show. We're looking at the Nielsen numbers for streaming. Now, these numbers are a little bit delayed. This is for the week of April 10th through the 17th. This also does not include services like HBO Max and others that have opted not to include themselves. But I think it gives a little bit more of a wide picture on what people are watching, even if we don't see some of the shows from the biggest streaming services. These are the 10 most watched streaming movies for the services that took part in the survey. And Kanto remains number one in its 15th week of release with eight. 8.3 million hours watched a phenomenally successful hit for Disney plus turning red also bringing eyeballs to Disney plus with 7.5 million hours. Netflix is the call. I remember Holly Berry herself was very intrigued to see why this movie was so popular, but it was the most watched non Disney plus movie the week of April 10th through 17th with 5 million hours watched the Netflix movie cleaner at number four with 4.3 million followed by hop on Netflix, I guess tied into the Easter holiday with 3.8 million hours watched. Then we had Moana in its 124th week of release with 3.2 million hours watched catch and release on Netflix at number 
number seven without a paddle at number eight. All the old knives on Amazon at number nine with 2.9 million hours watched. And then the Netflix original movie Choose or Die with 2.8 million hours watched. And this is what I think is so interesting when you when we're talking about Netflix and the money that they're spending. Their library titles are really performing as well or better than their original movies. Choose or Die is a Netflix original movie, but it came in behind several other library titles that were available on the service that they did not have to make. They definitely had to license. But again, I think this just goes to show you the evolving calculus of the streaming service where I think Netflix obviously heavily invested in original programming and original content, but a lot of people really just want to watch the things that they already know. So we'll see if uh, Netflix maybe scales back on some of that stuff and how they program things in the future. Finally, the 10 most watched streaming shows for the same week of April 10th through the 17th. The Ultimatum on Netflix taking over the number one spot from Bridgerton. It's a reality show, 18.3 million hours watched. Better Call Saul as we approach the new season or approached it back a month ago. I believe it was premiering right around this time with 15.8 million hours watched. Then we have Bridgerton with 14.7 million hours. Coco Melon, 11.9 million hours. NCIS, which is a perennial favorite. It pops on and off the chart, 11.5 million hours. Heartland at number six with 10.7 million hours. Moon Knight, still a big draw, even though there were only three episodes available uh, at the time of this chart with 10.6 million hours queen of the south at number eight criminal minds at number nine and Grey's anatomy on netflix clocking in 7.3 million hours watched and that does it for a pretty lengthy charts with dan uh, i'm sweating up here because the air conditioning is not on so let's wrap up the show coming out this week there are a number of selections available for streaming and wide release and limited release if you're watching on disney plus chip and dale rescue rangers the not revival as they like to advertise but the resuscitation of the popular disney show now in movie form will be available to watch downton abbey a new era is going to be available in theaters this weekend i am definitely going to be there to see and i'm actually going to be there on an early access screening that amc is doing and i will 100 be reviewing the dowager countess's latest cutting remarks here on the channel because i quite enjoy the downton abbey tv show and movie so look for that review here later this week emergency which is a movie that came out of the sundance film festival earlier this year is opening in limited release this weekend in select markets and then will be available on amazon prime next week i'll put in another reminder on next week's show it's very entertaining it's funny it's rooted in some very real world issues but is still uh, something that had me laughing throughout so uh, that is a movie if, if it is available in your market check it out this weekend if not you can watch it on amazon prime and then alex garland's latest film men is available in some limited markets it's actually going to be available here in this market so i'm looking forward to being able to see it this weekend and perhaps i'll be able to get a review for that out as well because alex garland is one of those directors no matter what he's doing I will be there for whatever movie he puts out. I love Annihilation. I love Dex Machina. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what this movie's all about. So that does it for Charts with Dan. Thank you so much for everybody that watched and hung in for this whole thing. If you want to see even more of what I'm up to, you can check me out on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dan Merle. You can also check out in the description below if you like what you see, but you want to take it with you as a podcast. I do everything that I do here on the channel in audio form uh, so that you can listen to it in your car and not try to watch YouTube and drive at the same time because that's not a good idea. Thanks again to my partners at Carbon Health, but most importantly, thank you for watching. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then.